and welcome to the first edition of Lost in Science for 2022. It turns out we are still in holiday mode with some of the team making the best of the opportunity to get out of their houses and enjoy the wide world while they can. Uh, COVID case numbers are on the rise in a lot of places around Australia at the moment and this is partly caused by uh, various government decisions and possibly a lack of cohesion between states and different levels of government. I hope people are able to access the rapid antigen tests if they need them and are coping as well as they can under the circumstances. It is worth bearing in mind that currently all COVID cases in intensive care in Victoria and the majority elsewhere in the country are unvaccinated people, which does show how effective these vaccines are in uh, keeping people out of um, hospital and avoiding serious illness. Uh, but on the show this week, we will continue with our summer series, looking back at some of the stories we presented throughout 2021. On this episode, we will be looking at genetics in a couple of different ways. Firstly, Chris will be looking into the evolution of a tiny mouse-like creature, the creeping vole, a species in which their Y chromosomes are disappearing, which uh, is drawing into question how the species can continue without breeding males to help that along. Uh, and then Claire will tell us about the first use of animal cloning on a non-domestic species, uh, a non-domestic animal species. Some of us might remember Dolly the sheep, uh, which was over 25 years ago now that Dolly the sheep was actually cloned. Uh, but in this case, uh, the cloning is being used to potentially save an endangered species from extinction. So please stay tuned for our eclectic genetic special. Australian Professor Jenny Graves was awarded the Prime Minister's Prize for Science for her work on the genetics of sex, 
which includes the discovery that the human Y chromosome is disappearing. Where is it disappearing to? How, how does the Y chromosome disappear? It's just kind of disintegrating, Stu. It's, it's falling to pieces. It's getting filled with junk DNA and just getting smaller in size. And, you know, we've all been there. I'll just remind you of the basics, like in the, the human kind of genetical system. The, we have the, the two sex chromosomes is the X chromosome and the Y chromosome. Um, the combination of two X chromosomes at XX is female, XY is male um, from a biological sex point of view. But the, um, the Y chromosome is, it's not, it doesn't hang up, hold up next to the X chromosome, let's be honest. It's, it's tiny. Um, so what it does basically, it basically carries the genes for making males and little else. Um, it's genes that drive the formation of the testes at about 12 weeks of gestation and which then produce male hormones and then that leads to all the other um, assorted consequences and problems. So from an evolutionary point of view, the Y chromosome looks like it started as similar to the X chromosome, um, except the difference it had this this um, region they call SRY, SRY, which is the sex determining region Y. Now, the trouble is that the way it works with um, males having one Y chromosome um, and females having two X chromosomes is that there's only ever one of these Y chromosomes around. So normally when chromosomes are paired, they can do something called recombination where they swap genes. Um, and also the fact that you have two, two chromosomes means that you have a backup in case there are, there are mutations. Mm. You can, evolution can select against any mistakes. Mm. You can switch certain parts of one chromosome on and certain parts off yeah but you can fix mistakes as well and you can or you can select away from mistakes um and the y chromosome has no backup and what's worse it is actually produced in a part of the body that is kind of prone to having more mutations and you know there are a lot of sperm produced very very rapidly there's going to be more Mm -hmm. mutations so the quality of the y chromosome then degrades over time there's no process for really um improving it it's just going to you know, just basically it's just entropy it's just everything falling apart as the universe does and then basically what you're saying is there's no quality control so it's all just going out the window that's right so hang on hang on but but if isn't there a selection towards um a certain quality of y chromosome because you've got a sperm that's got a healthy y chromosome yes yeah. you know eventually successful Totally. If you have, if you have um, unsuccessful, well, I mean, if, if you know, if you take the consideration that without a Y chromosome, you, you couldn't have males at all, then, um, and you need males to reproduce, then obviously there is certain evolutionary pressure to protect for good Y chromosomes. But the point is that there is no mechanism to improve the Y chromosome, mm, um, right. and yeah. the sort of the arrow of uh, the arrow is pointing in one direction primarily, um, and it's just the way it has. It has been observed. The degradation of the chromosome has been observed. This is what um, Jenny Craig's work was in two thousand two. She published a paper that looked at the rate that it was degrading, and with a, had a rough calculation that at the current rate it would be gone in about four and a half million years. I, I mean, okay, that's that's not right around the corner. That's not right around the corner. So you know, and when you, the Homo sapiens as a species hasn't been around that long, really. So you know, four and a half million years, yeah, is is a fair while. Um, but yeah, as I said, we do kind of depend on having males for re- reproduction, really. 
Um, but there's, you know, there's some, there is some ways it is protected, um, just simply by evolutionary, evolutionary pressure. Um, they have since measured more the rate of the degradation, and that thing shown it hasn't been uniform over time. So compare our Y chromosome to our evolutionary relatives, and you can see that it has kind of slowed the degradation over recent history. Uh, recent prehistory, and so it seems that maybe it's just being whittled down to the essential genes, which then, by evolutionary pressure, are harder to get rid of, simply because you can't succeed without them. But look, there's nothing to say that it can't disappear entirely, because um, this has happened before in other animals. And to quote uh, Professor Ian Malcolm, life uh, finds a way. One Not- of my favourite quotes about, about life, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Also... Not a real professor. No, no, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, sexual reproduction obviously is very common in in the the world of life, uh, very widespread. But it's done in different ways. Um, if you look at animals in particular, and vertebrates in particular, they, there's a there's a big variation. So, as discussed, you know, we have we and many other animals have the the XX and XY arrangement, um, but birds and snakes have the opposite system. Uh, males uh, have two Z chromosomes. And females have a Z and a W. So they kind of switched it around. Uh, and then there are, you know, some reptiles and fish where this, where sex isn't genetically fixed at all, but it changes according to things in the environment, such as the temperature. So, yeah, there's a, there's a different ways of solving this problem of making sure you still have um, sexual reproduction. Uh, but as I said, mammals are usually XXX. XX and XY, but there are a couple of exceptions, which is, brings me to the creeping vole. Sorry, there was a... Oh, that's the exceptions. Exceptions, yeah. The creeping vole, Microtus oregoni, sometimes known as the Oregon Meadow Mouse, which probably is a better name than the um, creeping <laughs> vole. The Oregon Meadow it's Mouse. A, it sounds, sounds <clears throat> it sounds a lot more, you know, it sounds a lot more pleasant. Yeah. So the, the Oregon meadow mouse. meadow mouse compared to the creeping vole. Yeah, it sounds okay. like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Yeah, Jekyll and Hyde situation. But it's technically a vole, not a mouse, I guess. <laughs> and it's one well, of those. Why- it ain't fooling is- anyone. <laughs> but this is also why we don't rely on common names for biological <laughs> identification. Fair enough, yeah. So, yeah, um, Microtus oregoni, the, the creeping vole, the Oregon meadow mouse, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's not a large animal. It's only about 14 centimetres in length, weighs about 19 grams. Um, yeah, get your fingers out and sort of measure that. But what's unusual, about 50 years ago, they discovered something unusual about it, which was that um, female creeping voles only have one X chromosome. So they call this arrangement X0. So instead of XX, it's just X0 to indicate that there is no other one. Um, and when the males appear to still have an XY, but a new paper published in the journal Science has thrown some light on how it's not exactly a normal XY arrangement. Because what they've done is they sequenced the genes on the, on the sex chromosomes for the creeping vole, the Oregon meadow mouse, and they found that the Y chromosome is essentially just another X chromosome that has taken on some male-determining genes from an older Y chromosome that has now disappeared. Right. So this was a completely separate event? Yeah. So basically... Evolutionary speaking? Yeah. So they had a Y chromosome similar to us, to ours, mm-hmm. um, but the, the, most of, the, most of their, X chrom- their, their current Y chromosome is just an X chromosome, but it's picked up some sort of ancestral 
Y chromosome. And in fact, the other X chromosome has also got some vestiges of that old Y chromosome as well. So there has been some gene swapping between the old Y chromosome. Basically, it saved its bits. It's like transferred the cost of the X chromosome. Yeah. And do they know when this happened? I haven't been able to find that out um from the from the full paper but um they the y chromosome the new y chromosome is already showing some signs of degeneration and acting like a proper y chromosome so essentially we have seen essentially a new y chromosome evolving from an x chromosome um now it doesn't appear to be an ideal situation because did talk about how the problem was with the y chromosome is that it degrades because there's only one of it um the fact now they really only have one x chromosome whether you're male or female seems like it's a problem as well there's no protection for the x mm. chromosome either but um look i think this has shown us that this kind of arrangement has some flexibility so you know maybe they'll figure out you know evolution will get around this this current conundrum um but look it's an interesting thing so what i'm trying to say is that if our if our y chromosome does continue to gradually degrade over time maybe creeping evolution can get us out of it science the final frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science, our ongoing mission to explain strange new words, to seek out new science and new explanations, to boldly go where no radio has gone before. First, we guess it. Then we compute. Well, don't laugh. That's really true. Then we compute the consequences of the guess to see what, if this is right, if this law that we guessed is right, we see what it would imply. And then we compare those computation results to nature. Or we say compare to experiment or experience. Compare it directly with observation to see if it, if it works. If it disagrees with experiment, it's wrong. And that simple statement is the key to science. It doesn't make a difference how beautiful your guest is. It doesn't make a difference how smart you are who made the guest or what his name is. If it disagrees with experiment, it's wrong. That's all there is to it.
Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Remember when Dolly the sheep was first cloned? Oh yeah, don't don't ask me to uh, to to call recall the date off the top of my head. No, but yeah, I do remember. I, mean, I remember I Dolly. I won't. I won't ask you to remember what you were doing when Dolly the sheep was first cloned. But just that you know, it was a big deal, right? And it got yeah. everyone, you know, wildly speculating about how cloning was going to go mainstream. Um, you know, soon we were going to be able to clone our pets, and animals were going to be able to come back from extinction. Um, anyway, Stu, it sort of happened. It sort of happened. It, <laughs> yeah, all it, our are, wild are we... speculation has sort of happened. Okay, okay, let me okay, let well, me clarify. Well, well. So, so where where do I get my tickets to Jurassic Park? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. You knew. Yeah, you knew. Yeah, it. I did. I did. Um, okay, let's go back for a second. So, you can get your pet cloned uh, for the right price. I feel like we we might have done a story on this in Lost in Science in the past. We we did we did cover that. It was it's quite expensive, it's quite expensive. and it's pretty risky. Yes. You don't necessarily get the same pet yes. that you had. There's all you, sorts of issues with it. But if you Barbara Streisand, you get two of the same pet. Um, she cloned her dog Samantha into two clones. She named them Violet and Scarlet. Oof, um, just for the record, they came from Samantha's one came from Samantha's stomach cells and one came from Samantha's mouth cells. So it's a lovely origin story, isn't it? Um, <laughs> anyway, one's one's always one's always hungry and one's always barking. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, so so today on the show, I'm gonna tell you all about how we are one step closer to cloning and recreating an extinct animal. And I know you're thinking about Jurassic Park. I was too. No, it's not a Velociraptor. It is a black-footed ferret. <laughs> that that is in in a weird way that is almost as cool. <laughs> I'm glad you think so because they are sort of cool. I mean, they look like regular ferrets, but they've got a bit of black on them. <laughs> but they've got black feet, obviously. But they have black feet, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, um. So so hang on. So this is this is not a domestic animal. Dolly the sheep was a sheep. Yeah. Um, I think they've done, you know, they've done domestic pets, like you said. Yeah. This is not a domestic animal. This, this is, is not a, a domestic this is a animal. wild animal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, scientists have successfully cloned a wild and highly endangered species. For the first time, um, this has happened in the United States. And um, the name of the clone is Elizabeth Ann, which is lovely, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's a very regal name. It's a very I think. regal yeah. name for a black-footed ferret. Yeah. For for a ferret, I know, right? Oh dear. Anyway, so <laughs> technically, technically, the black-footed ferret is not extinct. However, the cells who um, the cells you know that were cloned to create Elizabeth Ann uh, came from an animal that died more than thirty years ago. Wow. Yeah, so this isn't, you know, the cloning of an animal that is a contemporary. This is, this is somewhat, um, uh, you know, there's 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 been quite a there's been quite a time lag 
quite, between. quite a gap. So was yeah. this 30 years ago, was this a preserved specimen or? Yeah, it was exactly. So, um, yeah, as you're starting to pick up, there's, there's a bit of a story here with the black-footed ferrets. So uh, let me go back because originally black-footed ferrets were thought to be extinct globally for many years um, and had been brought to, ex- you know, the brink of extinction after uh, the main their main uh, prey, which is the prairie dog, which I guess a lot of people would know, um, the prairie dog, those sort of like rattish sort of guinea pig-looking animals in the States that run around on the prairies. Um Widespread poisoning of prairie dogs and trapping of prairie dogs left the black-footed ferret without a food source, causing a huge population crash. Uh, So in the 1970s, black-footed ferrets were so scarce they were assumed to be extinct until 1981 when um, in Wyoming, of all places, a dog came back from, you know, prowling around all night and dropped what turned out to be a freshly killed black-footed ferret um, at its owner's porch door. So this then wow. led to the discovery of or the rediscovery of a very small pocket population of individuals of this um, black-footed ferret, all from the same family. Um, so fast forward 30 years into the future and um, a painstaking captive breeding program and reintroduction program has been underway and scientists have managed to get the population of black-footed ferrets from this you know very very small population found in Wyoming to around 400 to 500 individuals Um, but the issue as you can probably imagine is genetic diversity and this population remains really under threat from disease Uh, and not just any disease (laughs) but the plague so, so the, these black-footed ferrets are under attack from the plague. As in the Black Death? Yeah. <laughs> the Black Death wow. is rampant okay. in ferret populations in the US. Um, not just black-footed ferrets, but also your regular ferrets as well, which, is, which are a little bit more common, which transfer them, transfer the, the, right. that particular so disease. So, so the, whole, the whole family's kind of... Or the whole the whole sort of class of animals is is yeah your whole by the ferret same family can get black death but but there's only but there's only a few of the black footed ferrets so they're much more in danger right yeah yeah that's right uh, so the black footed ferrets are very susceptible to this disease and one of the reasons is like I said before they lack a lot of diversity in their genes and over generations they have lost a lot of this genetic diversity, which means that um, they don't have the same, you know, diverse uh, immune systems that a lot of other populations do. So if there's a threat of disease, you've got diversity within those genes to be able to, you know, so some ferrets will be able to fight it and then have, you know, and those particular genes will be selected into the next population. So... All black-footed ferrets alive today are genetic descendants of about seven animals out of that group. So we're going from seven to 500 um, without any introduction of outside gene material. So you can imagine there's a fair bit of inbreeding that's happening. And what's called in the business is um, it's a genetic bottleneck. 
So you go from, you know, very small number of genes in the, in the population and then you go back out again, but you don't get any extra good genetic diversity coming in. Now, um, like I said, there's only one way to get around the genetic bottleneck and that's to introduce new genes and new individuals into the population, which is, of course, where Elizabeth Ann comes in, our clone friend, our black footed ferret clone friend. So she has a unique DNA and it's from a completely different and unrelated family to the Wyoming ferrets. And um, so Elizabeth Ann is, you know, as a clone is also a source of much needed genetic diversity to introduce into the inbred population. Um, so you were asking about the you know, where that tissue came from, if it was the 1980s, where that black-footed, black-footed ferret tissue came from. Well, interestingly, so Elizabeth Ann's donor cells came from a black-footed ferret named Willa, um, and that was from the San Diego Zoo, who embarked on a project in the 1980s called the Frozen Zoo. <laughs> which Wow. Yeah, which contains frozen tissue samples from over a thousand different species which is incredible which is incredible foresight considering you know cloning wasn't really a thing back then and then yeah, it's like um you know even even walt disney couldn't couldn't freeze himself quick enough that's right yeah <laughs> and then seven years later so oh sorry so so then in 2013 Um, The United States Fisheries and Wildlife Services partnered with a conservation biotech not-for-profit called Revive and Restore and um, and another organisation, which you guessed it, is a pet cloning company named Viagen. They all um, collaborated together to clone the black-footed ferret. So that was in 2013 and then seven years later, in late 2020, Elizabeth Ann was born and she was born to a domestic ferret um, there were two unrelated uh, domestic little ferrets that were born. They're, they're called kits, if you didn't know, fun fact, um, and a second clone that did not survive. So Elizabeth Ann now lives in Colorado. <laughs> She's been tested. She's a 100% black-footed ferret. So far her behaviour is normal, which is great, but she will be closely monitored for her whole life. Now there are plans for her and the continuation of the species, of course. So researchers um, are saying that they're going to first start looking at um, cryobanks of frozen black-footed ferret semen to see if they can, you know, in- introduce some more genetic diversity uh, and then also look at the living male ferrets to get best genetic matches for Elizabeth Ann. So it's going to be it's going to be a long process, but an incredible achievement to date um, and... Yeah, incredible. I, I was just struck by the incredible foresight of the frozen zoo to collect all those samples of tissues back in the 1980s before, you know, before it really was a thing. Uh, but I guess what's important now for the survival of the species past Elizabeth Ann is, you know, a huge unwavering commitment to protect and maintain habitat and the populations of wild black-footed ferrets because it's always going to be a lot easier to protect a species than it is to clone one back into existence.
have time for this week on Lost in Science. Thank you for joining us in Getting Lost. If you have any questions or suggestions for the team, get in touch with us by email. We are lostinsci at gmail.com. You can send cheap tweets to us at lostinscience1 on Twitter, or you can find us on the ubiquitous Facebook Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the land of the Kulin Nation and is broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find a podcast version of the show on 3cr.org.au or you can tune in the way you did this week when we return in our usual time slot to get Lost in Science! Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.